Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. My name is Alex Kroos, and I'm one of your hosts, and... In this corner, we have Casey Clapp. Yeah. What? what? That's it? In this corner, (laughs) this other guy. Sorry. I was going to go into a big thing, and I thought, you know what? The people don't want to hear that. They just want to hear the episode. As you hear all the people be like, boo. I think I'm a little tenderhearted this week because we spent 15 minutes talking about hamburgers last week. (laughs) Yeah, it was so good. I I loved it. Yeah. I think we should do that as a podcast. Ah, yeah. We can't. We'd get sued. By the Doughboys. Yeah, there's already podcasts doing that. Yeah. I mean, we could do it, but it wouldn't be interesting. We could just talk about hamburgers and people would be like, what the fuck are they talking about? Right. So we, That's I, a waste of your talents, Casey. Thank you, Alex. I think I think that's kind of you to say. I also I have to admit, I think it's a waste of your talents as well. I think, I think it's a utilization of my talents. You think, okay, well, you are a man of many talents, so perhaps it's <laughs> it's both, depending on the talent we're talking about. Hey, speaking of the Doughboys. Yeah, all right. Our friend, yes. I officially have her number in my phone and we I've text we've texted. Wow. Allie Ward of the Superstar Podcast Ologies. Go look it up. Where you got your little start that's kindergartner Casey Clapp. Hey, I was just talking about trees like with all these stars in my eyes. That's right. She was on Doughboys last as if you're listening to this, it was on last week. So go listen. Yeah. Doughboys is my favorite podcast. I've listened to it for like seven years or some shit. Yeah. So much wasted time. <laughs> um she was on it and it was like this crazy clashing of worlds and i realized that i'm i have uh, there's one person between me and nick weiger the host of one of the yeah. hosts of doughboys it, which means and mike mitchell super like at some point in the in the future you will certainly make that zero degrees of separation if if you will know them listen if Nick Weiger and Mike Mitchell want to be my friend. Invite me to barbecues. We can go out for, I don't know, McDonald's or something. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Would I love that? Sure. Is it my highest priority? Yes. (laughs) But, you know, other priorities will fall by the wayside. That's right. Today we're talking about a tree and that tree. Hey, we're going down under once again. Yes, we are. The bull Banksia. Ugh. Banksia Grandis is the name. Casey, I've heard of this tree. You have? What have you heard? Uh, one of my favorite sitcoms. Okay. Kath and Kim. Uh-huh. Any Australian listening is like, oh, brother. <laughs> but I love it. It's an Australian show. Uh-huh. And this couple on that show is like on the beach, and they're having like a romantic evening laying on the beach together under a blanket, right? Yeah. And they're talking about potentially having a child. And oh. It's a very romantic conversation. And yeah. They decide, yes, they want to. 
and then they he pulls the blanket up over them and they they start it's insinuated that they're fooling around oh i i got you and she goes and she goes uh kath Kath. goes uh oh that that feels nice what is that and he goes oh sorry that's a banksia cone (laughs) and he pulls out this cone and throws it across the beach you watch such dumb shows alex casey how dare you say that Oh, it's just, it, I know exactly the kind of scene. It's just, it's, yeah, it makes me laugh. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful <laughs> show. Yeah. So that is, th- that's how you know the That's Banksia. how I know of the Banksia is that okay. it was on an Australian TV show and it was insinuated that it felt like his dick, I guess, ah, is well, the joke. Yeah. If it's a bull Banksia, I bet you there were, I bet you it's a, this, this is substantial. This guy's packing, Yeah, I this guess. guy knows. He's, <laughs> they know what's up. <laughs> That is, uh, yeah, uh, I think that's, I think that is a, that's a fair description for our tree today. It's, it's, uh, of all the trees that are, or all the plants that are called banksia, uh-huh. it is the most well endowed. The bull banksia specifically? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Well, so bulls I, are well endowed. I was going to say, I assume that's why they call it the bull banksia, but I don't know. Uh, is cause it looks like a big bull's dick. Ah, uh, no, I don't think so. What I, did you mean when you said it, that you assume that's why they call it that? I feel like a bull is like big. You okay. Know? And okay. this is, this is one of the bigger, uh, of the banksia, but only <laughs> in terms of its fruit. I thought you meant, ah, whatever. No, I think, I, I think these are, these are on the same track. I don't necessarily know that they said that flower looks like it's got, this looks like the a size bull's of a bull's penis. dick. <laughs> so then they named it that. I think they were just like, uh, oh man, that thing's huge. That's a, that's a bowl of a flower. Right. You know okay. what I mean? In the like way a that a bowl is, is like a big thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Now to be very clear, Let's move on. No idea. No idea. I have no clue why. Oh, sure. I have sure, no clue why it's called the bull banksia. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those things where, to me, it seemed obvious, so I never looked into it. Okay. Well, Casey, we're talking about the bull banksia today, but we're going to take a quick break, get ourselves some coffee. Going to get ourselves prepared. For the bull banksia. Give them the horns. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are, too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Today we're talking the bull Banksia, Banksia Grandis, if you're nasty. Uh, Honestly, I think if you're nasty, you should do it like Victorian English style, bull Banksia. You might be better off with an Australian accent, Casey, as this tree grows down under. Sure does. Down under on the southwestern corner of Australia, right there on the, uh, the, the land that... 
we didn't know existed. Or Southwestern. Yes. I'm less familiar with that side than the, the side that's like more populated. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the east of Australia is more populated than the mm, west side. Gotcha, yeah. This is the area where it New grows. New Queensland, is that? Or, uh, uh, no, Queensland is up in the north, on the northeast New side. New South Wales. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, actually, I don't know where New North South Wales is. Uh, doctor, pull the map up, would you? Okay, Casey, I've got news. How's your cartographic skills? Uh, I'd say poor. Okay, okay. To very poor. <laughs> poor to very poor. <laughs> so the western third of yeah. Australia okay. is called, get this, Western Australia. You know what? I love that. that then you have the so Northern good. Territory. Okay. Which is like an Idaho-shaped chunk kind of in the upper middle. Okay. Below that, you have South Australia. Yep. Okay. This is also still making perfect sense. And then on the west, on the east side, rather, yeah. from top to bottom, yeah. you have Queensland, okay. New South Wales, and Victoria. Uh-huh. Okay. Those are all the, are they provinces? Is that what that is? I believe they're states. Okay. That sounds good. So, Casey, let's imagine that you and I are walking through a forest in Western Australia. Hey, that sounds good. And we come across some bull banks here. I'm almost assuming these grow by the water. They do, yeah. But Let's, they also grow kind of up to a certain elevation. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, we find some at any of those elevations. Let's ID this tree. Let's do it. It is. I think we can I think we can properly say tree. And the reason I think that we can properly say tree is because I looked it up specifically. So I had never heard of Bulbanksia or really done any diving into Banksia to begin with. Okay. Until one of our listeners basically said, hey, you should also think about these other cool trees down wow. here in Australia. So I was like, hey... That's a great idea. Um, and I tried to figure out who this is. We had so many responses and questions. I couldn't locate it. So whoever yeah. you are, you know exactly who you are. And thank you. Thank you so much. And the trees, uh, which I think we should call them trees. Okay. Um, if, I mean, if we call the uh, the pomegranate a tree, I think that if we don't call the bull banksia a tree, we, we get canceled right away. Easy now. So the tree that we're talking about is a small tree for all intents and purposes. Okay. Um, and it grows all the way on the coast. And on the coast, it really stays even smaller. It mm. is similar to our shore pine over here or a lot of different coastal mm. species where when they grow right next to the ocean for whatever reason, um, they are really stunted. Sometimes the soil is just not there. Sometimes mm. it's salt spray. Sometimes it is um, the, the wind just howls so hard usually with salt spray this was adjacent this was going to be my theories that yeah. Uh, yeah my theory was that it's harsher conditions so they have to they want to have a smaller footprint yeah exactly and you can only grow forced up to have a smaller footprint i guess yes i think either one you could probably say that they've adapted to it and so it's better for them but right. also the wind will shear them off if they get too wow. tall so it's a little bit of like okay uh let's make a deal here i'll grow like this you don't destroy me does the bull banksia grow like a normal tree like it has leaves and uh -huh. I know it has a flower and it has it has what we'll call like a um, tree cone hyphenated. Yeah. Right. Yes. It has a hyphen cone. I think it's fair. To, yeah, it, it, exactly. So it's not a true cone. You right. Mean? Right. Yes. hundred percent. It's like a magnolia in the way that a magnolia has a cone. Actually. Yeah, that's perfect. That is the best. Uh, I think like good analogous uh, that we can use analogous analogy. It's not you, an analogy. You know, what I'm, I'm Analgum. Gonna, you know what I'm going to say? What? It's like almost like a um, flower's skull or like a skeleton flower skeleton. 
right? I like that. Yeah. Cause it's like this, this thing that the, the fruit was growing in. Yes. Well, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. But then it, once the fruit kind of dies, it's left with this husk. Yeah. I'll let you talk about it. It's really interesting, Alex. I think you're going to like, like it. And I need you to oh. look up. I need everyone right now, whatever you're doing, unless you're actively driving, don't do this. Or like performing surgery or yes, something. Yes, or something like that. Uh, and, and if you can't have your assistant do it next to you while you're in <laughs> your surgery room. Scalpel. <laughs> Thanks, you. Thank you. Uh, you should definitely look up the, the just look up Banksia cone is yeah. the easiest way to find it. And you'll see this. You'll see what we're talking it's about. It's a scene, man. Right. So, OK, before we do that, let's finish. Let's finish talking about this tree and, and all the other things. It's kind of like, hold on before the ice cream. Here are your peas. Right. Here's your mashed potatoes. Yep. And because we are a vegetarian family, tofurkey. I want you to eat three bites of carrot. Before we talk about the Banksy cone, okay? <laughs> please, mom, please. <sighs> okay, so it's not a technical... No, 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 no. Here's your carrots. Uh, so on the coast, they grow very, very stunted. And then as you go further inland, they actually get a little bit higher onto... Get this. It's called the Darling Plateau. Wonderful. I love it so much. Mm. Like, I would live on the Darling Plateau of course. If, if I was there. I mean, everywhere I live is just the Darling space, for sure. <laughs> but I... I like your confidence. Hey, thank you, Alex. Uh, so the Darling Plateau is also famous for having um, the Jara, which is this really amazing tree. Yeah. Uh, it's a eucalyptus, I think, marginata. And it's some of the hardest wood in the entire world. It's really cool stuff. Really quick. Yeah. Remember my big rant about regional um, uh, pronunciations? Uh, I think so, yeah. I believe it's called Jera. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're probably right. Only because there right. is a, a hot beverage company in Australia oh, called Jera. Oh, yes. I, we've talked about this before. Yeah, and I yeah. It. Okay, Jera. I'm going to say Jera. Yeah, okay. You're right. It, it grows underneath these big trees uh, in association with that as a forest type. So- gets a little bit higher up there and the way these trees grow is very ca uh, candelabra like Ooh. Um, you remember when we did the trumpet uh flower the trumpet tree where it grows up and it kind of has no flower or no uh foliage kind of lower down yeah and then it kind of pops up with these big things kind of at the ends of its yeah. branches that's kind of what what our tree does here the banksia the grandest the bull banksia mm. it grows up and then it kind of splits off left and right and then it splits off again left and right splits off again left and right and it has these um spirally arranged um some species are whirled which is essentially all of the um all the leaves come off from one spot but a whirl is like technically different than a very very tight spiral okay very tight spiral is more alternately arranged but very very close so you mm. can't really tell that they're alternate that is what the banksia has is it's very very tight spiral or as it grows faster the spirals kind of pulled out like you're pulling a slinky apart that is kind of mm. how you can imagine and then everywhere around on that spiral pops out a new leaf pop 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 pop, pop. like a big long curly fry yeah exactly but sometimes if you stretch that curly fly curly fry mm. but sometimes if you stretch that curly <laughs> i'm leaving it in damn it alex your power sometimes if you stretch that curly fry out you end up getting a long spiral versus a, a when you let it whoop pull itself back together then you end up getting this really tight spiral and that's just kind of how you can tell the difference interesting uh, or imagine the difference it's hard to tell sometimes that's the point 
So, you got this amazing candelabra look with this dark kind of gray bark, initially smooth, but then it becomes really like warty and rough, dark gray. Mm. And it kind of looks like... Um, it kind of looks like worn pavement kind of is hmm. what it looks like to me. And it's really like, it's kind of gorgeous. It looks rough. Like it looks like something you don't really want to deal with. Um, it certainly is utility bark, but it's not utility bark in a strict sense. Like it's kind of, it's got a little interesting texture to it. Like a bunch of little bubbles. This is like utility bark, but we're not using that derogatorily. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. We're which like, is, this, I think is a difference. This is utility bark. Yeah. Rather than, uh, this is utility, utility bark. bark. Mm, yeah. Get out of here. That's, uh, I think, the best way to describe it. So as it grows up and you see these amazing leaves, which everything I've read, which there's so many different garden uh, like entries about this. Every time I looked up a description, mm. it was all like this garden shop, that native plant thing, this thing right here, that thing over there. Okay, It's not a heavily used plant in the garden industry. It is in some points, but banksias more broadly are, there's like 170 some species. Most of them are from Australia. They're all from the the kind of uh, new flora since the age of discovery, mm. so to speak, down in the the kind of Guandan and South American Boo. or South uh, Southern Hemisphere kind of area. That was booing the age of discovery. Not uh, okay. Not yeah, the... I was like, wow, Alex, that's pretty hurtful. Oh my god. <laughs> I will say aesthetically, yeah, it's pretty niche. It, yes. so it makes sense to me that it's not big in the garden community. Right. But man, it should be. And a lot mm. of people are saying you definitely need to plant these. If anything, you should plant them for the foliage. And that is it. Yeah. They have uh, leaves that are, they are called pinnatuspect. Wow. Say that again. Pinnatuspect. Pinnatuspect. Something like Pinata that. Pinnatuspect. Yes. Wow. So it's okay. kind of like, um, instead of being so a pinnately compound leaf yeah. is one that the there's a bud and then underneath that bud is the leaf. That leaf grows out and then little leaflet, little leaflets yeah. come off. Those leaflets are distinct and the blade, the actual green blade of the leaflet does not contact another part of the leaflet. Okay. And that so they're all separated. There are breaks within the 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 leaf blade. Right. On apparently, and this is a new term for me, I had never heard it before. Yeah, me either. On a pinnata specked leaf, the everything is so close to being actually uh, pinnately compound, but they are connected just just the tiniest bit. Okay. So if you look this up, pinnata spect, you'll see like a lot of ferns and things like that where it looks yeah. like there could be a thing. It's more of a description um, rather than like a state of being. Okay. So it's like, ah, these are pinnata spect. They're not quite exactly pinnate. They're normal, technically entire leaves with just big, big, deep lobes. I see. And this looks like the lobes of a, uh, the lobes are like these big triangles. Yeah. So it looks like a, a saw. Like, yes. I was going like, to say like a swordfish's snap. Yes. Oh my God, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's totally it. So it's really, it's really intense. And actually, I don't think you're thinking swordfish, Alex. I have to say, I think there's oh, another, yeah. there's like a sawfish. Yes. Okay. That has that exact same kind of thing. 
Yes, sawfish. Okay. So this is the sawfish leafed tree. Hell yeah. Oh my God. If you look closely, they're all connected at the base and they're offset just slightly. So you have like triangle over here connected to triangle over here, just offset from triangles on the other side. And they grow out about 16 inches or so mm. um, at max. So they're these like big, they look pinnately compound, but they are not leaves that come out in these big whirls. And they're like this kind of bluish greenish color. And and they're just gorgeous. Yeah, like, really, really interesting looking. Right? Um, extremely unique. I've never seen another leaf like this. Exactly, which is, I think, just an Australian thing. Everything <laughs> is just unique. Yeah. Remember that, that 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 listener question we got that was like, "Why are Australian trees so weird?" Yeah, and we kind of balked at it. We were like, "Well, I wouldn't say that." And now, the more we the more we look at Australian trees, I'm like, oh, "I think they were right." Well, Casey, can we can we finally get into the into the ice cream here? All right, here you go, kiddo. You did a good job. You got all that fiber. It's like a big soft serve co- soft serve coating. <laughs> it this is thing. like, oh my god, what else can we describe this as? Are we hungry? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Luckily, Alex, yes, we can talk about this. All right. This is the classic Banksia, where it has a spike flower that comes up from the terminal end of a twig, which is why it has that growth form where the branches come out and then there's another thing, another spot, then more branches come out. Yeah. So it's almost like a... a, a a U on top of a thing, which is on top of another U, you know, every, every end of the U has another U attached to it. Sure. That we're we're talking like a, like. we're talking like a sports bracket on its side. Yes, exactly. Totally. That's, that's the exact idea. Yeah. That is uh, because the flowers grow at the terminal end of the new growth. So the new twig comes out and then it puts all its leaves and then bloop, there it is. The new uh, flower top comes out. Great. And the flowers are, these little pairs of tiny little flowers that are jammed right next to each other on a woody axle. Mm. So the woody axle grows up and it sets all these pairs of flower kind of circling around it. And then they start to bloom from the bottom up usually. Wow. Uh, yeah. And a lot of uh, plants do this. I think there might be a few that go top down, hmm. but I, I couldn't really see anything that really confirmed that. Um, suffice it to say, as they, as the flowers are set, the the outer petals and perianth, that is usually one color. And then oftentimes when it opens up, the actual pistons and stamen and things inside are another color. Yeah. And then it looks like the whole flower is kind of going from, say, a yellow cream to mm. like a pinkish cream as it opens up because then you get the outer thing kind of opening, showing this new color, and you can kind of watch it go Beautiful. up the entire thing. For our plant, usually both are kind of a yellowish, greenish color. Oh. So they, they kind of all stay the oh. same the same color going through. <laughs> you got my, I thought you were talking about the Banksia. I'm sorry. Well, this is, I'm. we're talking about other Banksias kind of broadly. Oh, but this Bull Banksia doesn't do that Exactly. So oh, bull okay. Banksia does not do that. And the Bull Banksia uh, has the distinction, which is why we assume it's called the Bull uh, is because its flower spikes are the biggest of all of the different uh, Banksia species. Oh, okay. The record for how many flowers they found on one flower spike of mm-hmm. any Banksia species is the bull Banksia with something like 6,000. They get like almost... 12 or 18 inches long. Like I've read a lot of different things about like the size that they can get. So they're 
these big giant flower spikes that can grow out there and they have this woody stem in the middle with those flowers embedded into it. Yeah. It's really a fascinating, fascinating kind of plant. Um, can I say when I Google Banksia cone? Yeah. Is this, so this is like colloquially, colloquially called a cone? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So technically it is not a cone by any means. Yeah. Uh, but what, yeah, what were you saying? Well, when I Google Banksia cone, I, I get a lot of hits for Etsy.com, Casey. Yes, you do. And people use this thing to put lamps, to make lamps, oh, and yeah. sculptures, and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, that. so that is one of the biggest things I've also found is that like if you look it up on, if you look up Banksia on the Wood database, it doesn't actually give you any information about the Banksia wood itself, which yeah. apparently is very warped uh, or is very... Uh, inclined to warp and it also is kind of a reddish color apparently there's not a whole lot of like yeah banksia wood it's just kind of the biggest ones put on some wood you can use it for stuff but Mm. it's not like a a good timber species or used for a lot of stuff sure my best my best guess is that it's because of the growth habit where you don't generally get these long big pieces that you can now mold into something but they said they use them for yokes but that's because they're kind of that perfect size that you can just get one Mm. that's the perfect u-shape to put around a a bison or or whatever you're using to do something i will say the banksia cone should come with a uh a trigger warning for or our friends who suffer from tryptophobia. Oh my God, that's right. Yes, don't look at them. Yes. Ooh. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, it really is. And it looks it looks weird and and uh, weird is yeah. the only way to describe it. Okay. Let me let me try. <laughs> this is a science podcast. Science podcast. Weird. What's up? Weird science. We're going to be on Nickelodeon in no time. <laughs> God, I hope you get slimed. <laughs> I've been slimed, actually. Have you really? Yeah. In fact, funny enough, this is uh, the second time it's come up in like a matter of, of days. Yeah. Sliming? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess last week, some, I was talking with some friends about it and they're like, what was it like? What did it taste like? You got and, slimed. Yeah, I got slimed. Yeah. yeah. When? You were a child. I was a child. Very young. Probably Universal Studios. Five or six. Uh, yeah. Down in uh, California. Yeah. Yeah. They, we, we watched like a live show. <laughs> they're like, and we're going to pick one of you guys to get slimed. And then I was like, this little kid raised my hand and I got slimed. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It wow. Good, I'm so. so envious. Did it taste like vanilla? You know, I don't recall. Okay. Everyone asked about like, what did it taste like? And I don't, I don't remember tasting it honestly as far as i know they use like really watery vanilla pudding uh yeah that would make very much sense yeah, yeah. but it was great i i remember it and i kind of <laughs> never thought about it until someone brought it up at a at a get-together the other day and i was like oh yeah i've been slimed it just makes perfect sense <laughs> does it okay yeah i gotta ask I my know. mom about it i know she has pictures in fact i i kept the shirt that they gave you afterwards really for a long time. so casey what is happening with this cone alex i'm glad you asked so it is a normal, uh, not cone. So everyone's like, well, it looks like a cone. So what's the difference? The difference being a cone is the reproductive organ that holds all the seeds. The right. seeds are not inside an ovary. In this, all of the seeds are inside of an ovary at the base of the flower. And that base is embedded, like we said, inside of this woody axle, which is right in the middle of, uh, of this entire fruit. Yeah. Now, there are, you know, hundreds or thousands of flowers on this individual thing, but only a handful of them actually get fertilized. Oh. And when those get fertilized, 
the old or the ones that didn't get fertilized will either die away and like fall off and you just get like this kind of small little holes where there used to be some flower parts and then they kind of fell off. Mm-hmm. In other species, they'll actually stay on the on the tree and kind of look like this dead kind of hairy stuff hanging off of it. The ones, the flowers that did get fertilized, they will start to get bigger as seeds grow inside of this this woody section. Oh, so is that why there's sort of a smattering of holes across yes. this thing? Those are the holes where the seeds got fertilized, Precisely. where the flowers got fertilized. Yes. So each individual fruit is called a follicle. And a follicle has one suture line on it, and it only opens on the one side, which is the outward-facing area. Okay. And it opens up, and it kind of goes, yeah, exactly. And you get, like, it looks like a little mouth. Yes. It's just kind of like, and then pops out the uh, the little seeds that kind of flutter away in the wind. I hope there is some experimental absurdist filmmaker living in Australia (laughs) who used a Banksia cone, and, like, the, the imagery of a Banksia cone in a, in a scene where oh, all these little man. mouths are talking to uh, the main character. That would be so good. It's got to happen. It's got to be a thing. It's got to be a thing. Yeah. Now, a lot of times uh, in some species, they'll kind of open up. In our species, they will open up on, if there's a bushfire or something like that, oh. and the heat causes them to open, then they fall over and sure. then you're regrown again. Now, the fun thing about this is that they grow inside and connected to this big woody axle. So on the bull banksia, again, it's the biggest fruit of all the banksias, and those follicles will open up, and sometimes that entire like fruiting body, which is the best way to describe this, quote, cone, mm-hmm. can be up to like... 12 inches long and five inches around. So it's like a big, big thing. And you can take that. It's woody enough when you dry it, you can put it on a lathe and you can actually (gasps) shave it off into different shapes and things. Hence why you get so much Etsy uh, hits when you Google Banksy or Bull Banksy. Yeah, I saw a box made of a Banksia cone. Oh my god, it must be a tiny box. I don't know how big you could make a box. With well, that. I would assume they they would they would probably take several of these oh, and slice them into there planks. Yeah, so it's woody enough to be able to work with woodworking tools. Yeah, so it's exactly. not brittle and 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 uh, uh, yeah. it wouldn't fall apart necessarily. You know, yeah, it doesn't fall apart. Now, this is we're specifically talking about our tree. Other yeah, Banksias, yeah, yeah. you know, may not have the same characteristics. Okay. But yeah, this one's at least big and woody enough that you can actually use some pretty heavy tools on it. Wow. And it won't fall apart. Apparently, it's quite smooth when if you do it very well and correctly. And you can cut off all the outer sections so you get this smooth thing that's just tiny little holes then one big hole then tiny little holes then one big hole where like that mouth opens up where that follicle was fertilized and actually had that seed inside mm. so you get like this kind of uh it's like there's polka dots all over this kind of embedded within this piece of wood yeah so it looks like normal wood with these really really weird characteristics so to, so to return to my previous kind of uh musing yeah that this reminds me of a magnolia quote cone yeah are they the same, like botanically, are they the same part? Um, would you, would you? Yeah. But like, I mean, but you, you know, you, you seem like hesitant to go there or whatever. Or like yeah. you have to think about it. Yeah. But is it like scientifically? Yes. These are both ac- woody axles or whatever. Um, I think so. I think the main difference is the, the cones, uh, the way that the spike of flowers grows on the banksia mm-hmm. botanically is just a little bit different than how the magnolia is set up. Okay. So 
I think in the in broad strokes, yes, they're the same thing. Okay. Um, in fact, I would have to again look this up to make sure. Mm. Um, but <clears> the <throat> my understanding is that the magnolia is an aggregate of capsules, so it just kind of also opens up, but they open up uh, vertically. And then the seeds pop out. Yeah. Whereas for this, they open up horizontally. So it seems I, like a negligible difference. Yeah. So I'm not really sure. I didn't do a comparison between the two. So this is a very good question, Alex. Let's try to think of a third plant that has a similar botanical part. I can't. We'll be right back with more completely arbitrary. <laughs> I'm just joking. Oh, you are? Oh, God. I, <laughs> yeah. was ready, I was ready to go for it. I was ready to, I was ready to like, end it and move it onto the next section. away from his mic. I did. I thought that was it. I was going to look up uh, no. all the questions to all of our answers. That would be That would be a very... Uh, that would have been fun. Oh, well. It's possible now. Opportunity lost. <laughs> well, Alex, now that our opportunity is lost, here's the thing that I really kind of... I found myself diving into. Yeah. Which is what I do, uh, historically speaking... I would do a my own personal version of the the Wikipedia game that we did one time here mm-hmm. on the show. The idea is I just I love going down rabbit holes right. with things and just and Wikipedia is such a, a a no or like a low stakes you know reading thing for me where you could go into a, so much detail that you're blinded about something and miss all the actual intricacies that are curious going so deep onto something that you're like this is too much right you can also go way too shallow where you never quite know what you're doing yeah but if you hit that sweet spot you can just go and read through histories and connections and weird things and find yourself going down rabbit holes you never quite thought you would get to and so this isn't quite that but as I was looking through here, I was like, okay, yeah, I know this is named, uh, the Banksia is named after Joseph Banks. Now, yeah, for each episode we do, you have kind of like a hook. Yeah. There, I, tr- I try at least. We'll, we'll say we want to do an episode <laughs> about this tree. Okay, yeah. great. I don't, when we, and we don't really know what that's going to look like. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. we need a, we need a. We need a subject. Very rarely have we just talked about like kind of anything and nothing. You know? Yeah, most of the time, I think the closest we get for that is just talking about the tree itself. Right. Like it has like, so many interesting things. Yes, which this totally could be. Yeah. But you got hooked on something, and that I is did. this gentleman, Joseph Banks. Sir Joseph Banks. just the most capitalist name I've ever heard. <laughs> you think so? Yes. Yeah, I, I don't think that's uh, that's out of the question of, of a fine conclusion it's biblical and capital (laughs) it does he's got it all yeah oh poor joseph banks he's got he's yeah he his destiny was was done no pit trap for this guy no pit trap in fact i think let me see yeah he died in london and he seemed to, to age a good 77 years that's not bad. Yeah, so he lived a good life, and I must say, he uh, in this one photo that again, it's on the, it's like the the main profile of his Wikipedia mm-hmm. page. Um, it is uh, in 1773, and man, he's got like dashing, like kind of late 20s, early 30s, like good looks to him. Like his hair's pulled back right. He's lo- he looks like he's kind of cool, you know. Like he looks like he's in the prime, and I'm like, dude. Well, <laughs> 
It's a good-looking guy. He knew what he's up to. I want to clarify that this is a, an oil painting Casey's referring <laughs> yes. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which are famously, you know, doctored by the painter so they don't oh, offend yeah. the uh, the person being painted. But dang, look at that brow, man. Yeah. Come on. Like, I don't know. He's got a good strong nose, he, too. Yeah, he, he does. He does. He's got a little bit of a smirk. Like, he looks... He looks cool. So I was so I was just looking there and I was like, okay, I, let me remind myself who Joseph Banks is. So I decided I would remind everyone else as well. So his pedigree is pretty insane. He's not a Scotch botch. He's just a normal English botch. Okay. And he does uh he he appears all over the place because he was an adventurer, but he was also like very well respected. Charles Darwin, for example, yeah, he was well-respected. He went on his big adventure and then came back and then focused on things for the next 40 years. Okay. Uh, his contemporary, who also came up with the idea of um, evolution by natural selection, was um, Alfred Russell Wallace. Hmm. Alfred Russell Wallace was not very well-respected. He was like a tradesman who came up with this fantastic idea. Because huh. he went down to some uh, tropical islands and would catch b- beetles and butterflies and birds and then send them back. So that's how he would make his money. I know hey. you, you wince because you're like, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. So he that's what he did. Okay. And so he made a lot of money from that, but he was never like a, a gentlemanly class guy from doing it. No one really gave him, uh, Alfred Russell Wallace, much credit. Every now and then someone would read him like, oh, yeah, okay, this guy might be on to something but he wasn't a gentleman in the society you know what i mean okay sure so why bring up those two is because they're very well-known names Mm. joseph banks was the epitome of kind of both of them Mm. where he was an explorer and went off and did all sorts of stuff and was also like super well respected like he was in the royal society i think when he was like 23 remind me what the royal society is Ah, so the the royal society is the royal society for like natural uh natural study the study of the natural world okay and whenever you hear about the um all these old timey victorian and prior era explorer folks who were all the the scottish botanists Mm -hmm. of their day they are usually a part of the the Royal Society and they would focus on one thing. So say botany or physics or chemistry or something like that. Okay, so it's the the natural sciences sort of like British uh, union or something. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the easiest way to to do it, to kind of think about it. So it was formerly the Royal Society of London for Improving Natural Knowledge. Okay. And it's a fun, it's a fun thing. All like all the big names that you've ever heard of in terms of natural history, they were probably a part of this if they were born on the English Isles. David Douglas. David Douglas. I'm sure he was. All I right. think he was, but I don't know for sure. I'd have to go through, but I would be willing to bet. Linnaeus. Uh, no, because Linnaeus, if he was, uh, then it would have been different because he's part of the. He was Dutch, wasn't he? Uh, no, he's Swedish. Oh, I yeah. thought Linnaeus was uh, was Scottish. No, no, Who am I thinking of? Who's the other uh, Scottish? Uh, David Douglas and Archibald Menzies. Archibald Menzies. Uh, sorry, Mingus. All right. 
So, um, yeah, so most of those guys, most of the big names, uh, all of the things, like Newton was a part of these, the, there's all sorts of these sects of the Royal Society. And did they allow any women in this society? Oh, God, no. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> this is this is London in 1770. Get right. out of here. All right. Uh, I think over time, probably, I don't, I, I don't really, to be honest, and I'm sorry to say this, I don't keep up with the Royal Society today. <laughs> Excuse so. me? Pardon me. <laughs> You are not a gentleman, sir. (laughs) Slap. Um, so back then this, this was it. And you know, everything were that we could bring up about this, you know, you hope that there was this, um, this sense of, of, uh, purity with what they were doing in terms of like we just want to go find new plants and study natural things pretty optimistic it is pretty optimistic and if you if you try and think about things from this age which to be very clear none of anything we say today is any kind of um, apologistic kind of argument um never apologist yeah it's quite the opposite right this is with open eyes um these people were working at a time when what they were doing seemed to be good and right and for the better of society it just so happened it was very much only their society that was right and good and better for Mm. and nobody had ever you know went to them and said please stop this is really bad for other societies they they thought in their minds worked so differently that didn't even occur to a lot of these people. And it was like, oh, yes, we should definitely get this land and, and and take it over. Or we should go find all these new plants. And it was always be exploration. Everything was new to them. We still fall prey to that all the time. Like, oh, this thing was discovered. And it's like, well, okay, I bet you it wasn't just now discovered. You're cutting off all the rest of human history for, you know, millennia and millennia right. going back. And I'm guessing this wasn't a, a, a non-profit organization. No, definitely not. No, this was the, um, how do you say, uh, English-British Empire. Right. Quite for profit. And so the thing that was is interesting about Joseph Banks is that... Quite. That was their, that was their slogan back in yes, the day. Quite for profit, the, actually. The English Empire, quite for profit. <laughs> yeah, right? So they uh it's very British. This is the best thing about this. So he ended up becoming the president of the Royal Society for 41 years. Hey, good for him. Which is huge. Like that's just like that's a massive massive thing. That's big, yeah. And he also was like a super intellectual about plants and natural history and animals and like all these things. So whenever anyone had anything to say they would go to him and mm. so there's Ooh, a, a casey clap of his day oh huh? wow thanks yeah i'm definitely not on his level <laughs> even as a scientist like even though he had the mind and atmosphere of a uh, imperialistic colonistic capitalist he was um famously a part of the very first um uh transit or uh uh, the first sailing of Captain Cook, the famous Captain oh, Cook. Oh, wow. And I, yeah, the, wow. The, the very first, what was that? I just said, man, it's yeah. so weird to think that these things existed. I don't know. Dude, and it took him three years to go from Britain down across the Atlantic uh, underneath South America to the island of Tahiti. Hmm. From Tahiti across a couple of the society islands to the west, then finally ran into this place that they're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look for this 
aisle. And this is this is the thing. They it was like the unknown continent that may exist. Mm. Because at this time, and this is in the the late 70, I think it was 1767, 68, 68. It was 68. And they would have no idea. They had no idea that there was this continent down below. In and when I say down below, I mean in the the southern hemisphere. They knew about Africa, and they knew about um, South America and North America. Down under, if you will. I yeah, I think that's proper. But the thing is, they also knew all about Asia and Europe. So they thought. In order for the planet to be balanced, there needs to be a giant landform at the bottom. That was their theory? That was their theory. Since like the fifth century, that was the first time that was... Really? That was brought up. Excuse me. I guess they weren't wrong. They weren't wrong, but... Their their, reasoning was wrong. (laughs) Yeah, right? They balance. Would, they would say I, there's also a lot of this from the 15th to the 18th century where they that really became the the common understanding. Mm. There must be a giant landmass very far south, or else the planet surely would fly out of balance and flip into some other orbit. So somewhere. weirdly smart and dumb, right? I don't know. It is. It's all. It's 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 almost like taking some like really high level concept but applying a a child's logic to it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's like you both have mastery and complete like yeah. dumbery is that a mastery and dumbery yeah yeah all right Ooh. nice you apply both to the same thing at the same time see where you get <laughs> wow yeah we know that gra- we discovered that there's a, this thing called gravity uh, because see we're being held upside down by a giant so anytime you drop something, it falls to the ground. Yeah, ex- that makes perfect sense. Yeah. We must find this giant. That's what we don't know. It's an ice giant. We're going to call it Antarctica. Ooh, scary. I bet Antarctica was once a wa- ice giant. Yeah, probably. And then now it's actually just sleeping or something. Yeah. Mm. Ooh, the sleeping ice. This is like yeah. Moana. But, Ooh, this is. Yeah, this feels ice. good. I like it. All right. Frozen yeah. meets Moana. Oh. Let's pitch it. Yeah, Bob Disney. Iger. All right. Yeah, I think we should do that. So uh, and what exactly happened is they, they kept going and they found this place that a Dutch man named Tasman had found, which mm-hmm. is New Zealand and Tasmania. Sounds familiar. So he went there and like got in a bunch of fights with the Maori on New Zealand. Yeah. And they, uh, they had guns because, of course, this is still uh, on one side. Captain Cook is working for like King George III and is like, hey. We want to find new things to colonize. We This is the thing that we're doing. Whether or not they were doing it thinking like, yeah, we're going to fuck up the world. Or if they were just like, yeah, this is what we do now. This is, this is the way the world is. Let's just assume for a second that maybe a couple of them were just like, this is going to be a huge adventure. Uh. And every now and then, if, if you just take away everything, which I know we shouldn't and we can't do, but if we did... <laughs> Could you just imagine, Alex, like this, uh, like going to a different planet where if you just can say, we're going to earnestly just go see what's out there and then you find something. That would be uh, pretty wild. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. And not only do you find something, do you go down, like you say, okay, we're pretty sure that the planet is circling around the sun, but we're pretty sure that there's a planet on the exact opposite side of the sun from us. At every point, 
that our gravities are are interlocked, kind of like two kids holding hands and swinging around. Mm-hmm. You have to have the one to balance the other. Okay. I'm pretty sure there's another planet on the exact other side of the sun that's exactly like Earth. Right. Let's go see if we can find it. The math works out. We would fly off into that galaxy otherwise. I'm pretty sure that's the case. And your response is, dude, Totally. <laughs> let's talk to the president and let's get a couple billion dollars and go go over there. The the president's like, bro, this is like one hundred percent solid logic. Here's your money. Go find us. Uh, go see what's out there. And then we go out there and we're like, we high five because we fucking totally found it. Yeah, there it is. We're like, this is sweet. Oh my gosh, look at all these crazy things. And then you just see this whole new world. The question that was asked a while back, why are Australian plants so weird? It's because that entire place had been broken off from all the other different flora and fauna for maybe 50,000 years at the minimum, likely way more than that. I mean, people got there around 50 or so thousand years ago. Okay. All the plants and animals had been apart from everything else for millions and millions of years before that. So imagine two different planets that have just completely evolved differently. We go there and we find it. They're like, Whoa. Yeah. Like I have to admit the sense of adventure and like of finding something, thinking it's out there, finding it and then actually seeing what's there. Whoa. Like it just, it sounds like a dream, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, this is tricky for me case. Yeah. I I have a very hard time separating the colonialism from the, the quote sense of adventure. Yeah, definitely. Um, you can, you can, the, the narrative has been told too much as a sense of adventure where it almost becomes this romantic notion. Yes. Right. Yeah. Which is, you know, some very common in, in like, um, I mean, uh, I, maybe, maybe this is, hopefully this isn't too off topic, but going back to like elementary school in America, yeah. Uh, learning about American slavery. Mm. Um, in this, in the same regard, learning about the quote explorers. Yeah. You know, like Lewis and Clark going over Lewis and Clark Columbus. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's all, they call it, like we said earlier, the age of exploration, right? It's like, it was for one of you, but for the other of you, it was maybe the age of let's go find however many people we, or however many spaces we can to get more resources. Yeah. Whoever's there, we don't really care. Don't kill them. People to enslave. But we might, yeah, we might, we might, we might kill them later. Yeah. So it's really hard for me to be like, it's to hear this story and be like, wow, yeah. I know. Because I just have it in my, and it's like a sinking feeling in my gut, like yeah. knowing what happened right after that. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, no, I mean, it wasn't even right after. It was the whole time. I mean, Captain Cook got off the islands and planted flags and, uh, you know, formally, you know, claim this for King George and the crown. Yeah. So it's, um, you're, you're exactly right. And I think like why this came up with Banksia is because obviously I went down this path with Joseph Banks and started looking at Cook yeah. and his voyages. And, um, there's a, an image of, 
uh, Captain Cook on Australia, I think. And then there's these uh, Aborigines behind, like in the background, you see like these two figures. Mm. And in the front ground is like, you know, all the, there's, I think, a, a British soldier in a red coat, a Marine who's like, you know, kneeling, looking towards those other people. And then you have, you know, this captain in this grand, like almost uh, George Washington kind of like planting a flag moment kind of thing. A bull mastiff at his heels. Yeah, right. It's like all these, this big imagery and everything. And you, and I, the when I was looking at that, my the first thing that popped into my head, I was like, I wonder what that beach looks like now. <laughs> and then you can like scroll through and you can find a picture of that same beach. Yeah. And it's like right next to a bunch of development. It's a perfect little beach. There's like a nice little rock wall that's there to like basically keep the tide from going up and, and eroding away. Mm. And I'm like, oh, I wish this is where the romantic part comes into me, which we've talked about on the show before is the idea of going to anywhere in the world prior to let's say the year 6000 BC or even let's just go to 10,000 like before agriculture really started to take hold of our entire societies yeah. like I would love to go back 12,000 30,000 years and see what the world looked like in all of these different places that before they were completely destroyed and changed um by humans the way we do it now because um, humans have been affecting the landscape in their habitat for as long as humans have existed, yeah. as long as they've had like fire, which is something like 200,000 years or more. Wow. So I'm not trying to, to say there's this romantic notion of the land untouched by humans versus touched by humans, but I think it's fair to say in the last 2,000 years, we've touched the earth a different way than we did prior to agriculture. Sure. You know? So that's, that's what I'm trying to, you know, think about. Like what, what's the landmark you're putting at 2000 years ago? Um, 2000 years ago was just, uh, it was like, you know, the Romans were just kind of moving around mm -hmm. and they were doing a lot of work, but everything was by hand. There was obviously a lot of moving of things. It just happens to be that in the last 2000 years, the amount of, uh, impact we've had and change on our environment has exponentially right. increased. So if, if I was to be completely like, um, you know, perfect about this, it would be going back, let's say 12,000 years to account for everything. Um, the, uh, agricultural revolution, quote unquote, hadn't happened yet. So it's still like hunter gatherer bands or foragers running around doing all their things. Mm -hmm. And everyone was interacting with their environment in a, the way that they always have. Um, but at that point we didn't clear land for certain things. Maybe it was done by fire. Everyone would affect the land and their habitats to get certain things. A lot of the folks over in the indigenous people in California, for instance, would use fire for uh, clearing out land for oaks that have, you know, the favorite acorn. Um, in Australia, certainly was the case where the indigenous people would use fire or the, the landscape was so fire prone that they would just light a fire, it would change the landscape, and they would know how to work within it. Right. So at least before agriculture, because once we had settled societies and we started having wars and we started doing all these things, everything changed. Yeah. So agriculture is, in my opinion, the thing that has changed our entire world in every 
possible way. I don't think that's that much of a hot take. Okay, I don't think it is either. I, I think it's just a take that a lot of people don't really think about or don't yeah. really like fully grasp. I mean, like, yeah, the Industrial Revolution is the big one, right? Yeah, that's the one that everyone's like, that changed the world. Yeah, like, but you're, yeah, the- you're making an argument that it was before that, the proto-Industrial Revolution was agriculture. Yes, and everything that was in place to make the uh, Industrial Revolution happen was because of the agricultural revolution. Right. Okay. So, I mean, everything from like how our societies are organized, like monogamy is only potentially, mm. I'm being more and more convinced, is a relic, is an artifact of agriculture in agricultural societies. Boy, that uh, that is a whole different episode. Right? I, we could talk about that for hours, Casey. Yeah. So, so let's bring it back to our tree. Yeah. So these, uh, the Banksias are named after this guy, Joseph Banks, mm-hmm. who introduced something like, uh, brought back 30,000 uh, different plant specimens back to London. 30,000? Yes. In one trip? I'm not sure if it's one trip. It might have been. I but, mean, you yeah. want to grab as much as you can. You're not yeah. going to be back for a while. Yeah, I think this just says, uh, it just says, maybe it might be the first thing, but at least uh, 30,000 he brought back with him. Jesus it doesn't say specifically the, the time frame. Okay. And over 1,400 of those um, were things that he actually identified and, quote, discovered. You this, know, that's a prolific uh, yeah. man of his trade. Right? But Damn. I mean, think about the situation he was in. Uh, you go to Australia, every single plant that right. you see is new. So you give him some credit, but also, like, they were there for. I think like six months or something, maybe elsewhere for six months. You just start pick picking, yeah, pick literally anything. And it's brand new to science. Like imagine yeah. walking out into, um, our, our forests and just name anything like point at something that's new. Yeah. You know? So, uh, so here's kind of where everything, uh, is kind of comes back to our, our Banksia. So we named our tree, the Banksia. Um, but we name it after this guy who from a certain perspective was really integral in the natural sciences, Mm -hmm. which is something that a lot of people really enjoy and respect, and it's very important. But the way it is now is is maybe eyes a little bit more open to the impacts that natural sciences have and the effects that it has on societies and peoples and cultures that maybe are not so Western-centric. Yet at the same time, it caused so much trouble. Yeah. Like the the entire idea, everything about uh, colonialism and capitalism and e- the names of these plants as we know them now are wrapped up and completely entangled with where we are today now. And thinking like, well, actually natural sciences is more focused on conservation and um, addressing the issues that we've created over the last 2,000 years, mm-hmm. things like that. So it makes me like... Uh, it's just, it's a hard dissonance, you know, to really like think through and conceptually uh, come to terms with the idea of, say, reverence for Joseph Banks through naming this amazing plant after him specifically and all the things that he's done to push our sciences forward. But then knowing that on the other hand, he literally went back to the the back to Britain and was like, this would be a great place to colonize. We mm. should definitely do it right here from one side. If you just look at, you know, the additions to what we now consider a modern science, 
thanks, Joseph. Yeah. You look at everything else and you're just like, no thanks, Joseph. Joseph. <laughs> yeah. We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to get into our review of the Banksia, the Bull Banksia. Bull Banksia. Right after this. We'll be right back with more Completely Arbitrary. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. That was our discussion of the Bull Banksia. It's time for our review. And here's how it works. We're going to have some final thoughts on this tree and then give it a rating of 0 to 10. Golden Cones of Honor, Casey. This time, it's going to be Golden Banksia Cones of Honor. Oh, very good. Golden Woody Axles of Honor. As our resident ethical explorer, we'll Ah, begin with you. Yes. Okay, perfect. That sounds great. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate the introduction. I, I really was taken by this tree. Yeah. And I, A, I want to go down to Australia, New Zealand, Tasmania. I want to go to that entire area to see all of the plants and all the the weird ways that they've developed. Because for me, the big thing about this and why our discussion was kind of like a free-flowing talk about, you know, this guy and like the, the sense of exploration and all these things. Um, it, to me, like the plant itself in its uniqueness and curiosity and gorgeous beauty, it is, it's representative of this, uh, this world that kind of developed all on its own, mm. which is the continent of Australia, or rather Terra Australis Incognita. Is that the Latin name for Australia? Uh, it was before we knew it existed. That means the unknown southern land. Oh, interesting. So they uh, they they were going down trying to find this thing, and I think that the the a poster child for that entire idea of like this this unknown land mm. is is the banksia. Like you could name almost any plant that grows down there, and they just they're all so unique and interesting. Yeah. So I. Um, I love this, and I'm taken by the fact that the irony that we name it after, you know, banks and all the rest of these things that kind of uh, come falling from that kind of initial step. Yeah. So the irony is there, but I still think if we're just looking at this plant for exactly what it is, they're stunning. Yeah. And I think the cone of it is so unique and curious that it just tickles me. I, <laughs> I, it, the tree is not a big wow. tree. From what I can tell, it's not a, a big street tree kind of thing. You don't plant it often in gardens. It's just kind of this tree that's over there that just kind of hangs, and everyone's like, yeah, there's, the banksia's over there, bull banksia. It's enjoying it. Um, and it's somewhat fickle if you get it to like too much humidity and things like mm. this. So it's a tree that just likes to grow exactly where it's growing, and everyone is just okay with that. And so I think for the bull banksia... I'm going to be like at a, it's going to sound low, but that's, I'm sorry. It's going to be a 6.9. That does sound a little low for what you were ramping up to. Yeah, I know. But it's I almost know. a seven. That's good. 6.9 golden cones of honor. It's been a big day of like uh, contemplation for me out. Sure. So I hope that's okay. Yeah, that's okay, Casey. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I am curious. I want, I want some Australians to write us about their opinions about this tree yeah. because I always, I always think it's funny. Like some, we've a couple of times we've been like, wow, this tree is so beautiful. And somebody writes us and they're like, it's a fucking nuisance. Yeah. It grows <laughs> everywhere. I'm so sick of it. And we're like, Oh, okay. Uh, whoops. It's like, uh, you know, yeah, it's all about perspective. The bull banksia. I think it's fine. Okay. I think even aesthetically it's fine. I have, I have some mild tryptophobia. I'm not like, 
Oh. It doesn't really affect me, but I look at it and I kind of like my throat gets wet, you know? Oh, I'm like, really? Um, I get kind of like hot mouth a little bit. Dang, I had no idea. Uh, I don't know why. Um, I think it's pretty good looking tree. I like the overall morphology of it. I like the flower. I don't know. I'm not feeling super passionate about it. It might, uh, it might have something to do with the with the story t- oh, we told today. Sorry, it's okay. It's a tainter. It'll taint. That's my. That's Larry David. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give it a a hearty five point seven. Wow. I'm just not one. feeling that great about it. All I don't right. Know why. That's fair. Well, I think maybe if more people plant it, that'll change it. So- if, also, if somebody wants to send me a Banksy a lamp, or I can oh. also I can go and find this thing and go buy it find myself. A I just don't want to. I just don't want to invest in one. Uh, yeah. But I'm happy with somebody else doing it. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or if somebody fine. out there makes Banksia stuff, I'd like to have a, a Banksy account in my home. I think yeah. that'd be pretty cool. That was our review of the Bull Banksia. It's time for a completely arbitrary Q&A. Casey, this week's question comes from Lisa D. Oh, right. Lisa D. You know that song? Nope. It's from Greece. Oh. But it's Sandra D in Greece. Oh, yeah. Okay, Sandra D. Yeah. Hi, Casey and Alex. I just finished reading Suzanne Samard's Finding the Mother Tree. Oh, yes. Terrific. Anyway. It got me thinking about mycorrhizal networks yeah. and whether they exist or can be nurtured in non-forest settings, mm-hmm. like on city streets and in yards. She mentioned the three sisters planting done by Native Americans, yep. but is there any research or practitioner know-how about if and how street or yard trees support each other or can be co-planted so as to develop supportive fungal networks? What a lovely question. Thanks for your question, Lisa D. Casey, Alex, we've I I think I asked this this a similar question about house plants back uh, in the day. I think I remember this. Like yeah. are my house plants like communicating with with each other? Mm-hmm. Are they on a network? Even though they're all in separate pots. Yeah. You know? Are they? Do they have? Do their pots have Bluetooth? Like all of your bulbs? Right. Do they send? Yeah. <laughs> do they send out little pheromones to say, "Hey, it's cold over here." Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's feeling pretty good over here. The other one's like, "I'm gonna get ready for it being cold now." Right. Yeah. Um. But that's not really related. So what do you think about this uh, street tree mycorrhizal network? It's like ah, social media, right? It is. This is a good question. This is the social network of plants, I yes, suppose. Yes, yes. You know, so there are um, there are a lot of different things that urban forestry researchers are really looking at for this. So there are certainly fungal networks associated with almost every plant. Okay. In general, all the trees that we have growing uh, in your streets as a street tree or in your front yard, your backyard, they will have some network, especially if they're native, just kind of in the soil. They, okay. They just are there. Fungus is everywhere. And whenever you see any fungus like popping up out of your yard or out of the uh, the areas of planted or mulch or leaves or whatever, those are usually a part of some larger network. The question is, are they mycorrhizal fungi or are they fungi that are doing decomposition and that's kind of it, right? Is uh, Okay, yeah. 
I think I understand. Okay. Yeah, there's the the two different kinds. Michael Reisel and then there are the decomposers. All they do is decompose things. They're not making any friends. They're just running their business. And then things can use their stuff afterwards, but they're not actively connecting two things together and doing them at the same time. Okay, so that's the question. Yeah, so there certainly is. Every tree, most of them at least, will have that. The big thing that changes, that means that maybe some do and some don't, even though they're the same species, same area, same same kind of, uh, within the same city, let's say, Mm-hmm. Um, is are the conditions within that soil where they're planted conducive to have fungus? Where if you are downtown, all you're doing is growing in a really compacted, disturbed um, soil area, and your fungus or your roots are going down into a. Um, underneath the street where it's mostly gravel and there's some other spore, poor spaces and things like that. Little Freudian slip little, there. Yeah, yeah, poor. So those little <laughs> trees, uh, they don't get a whole lot. They don't have sure. really, the fungus can't survive even though the tree could be there giving them things. There might be a small amount of fungus, but the fungus is not growing deep within the soil. Fungus is always usually, I say always usually, uh, on that top section in the the top maybe foot of soil. You yeah, know? like a mat. We've yeah. discussed a mat of mycorrhizal Yeah, fungi. exactly. Once um, you get too far down, it's just not there. Okay, so when you plant a street tree, yeah. do you use like Home Depot bagged soil? Some people do, yeah. Okay, so is that does that bag of soil have fungi in it generally not see this is a problem it is now some are there's some organic you can get um really good products where they actually inoculate it with certain fungus okay and then put that out there and say yes as soon as you use our soil there will be a fungus uh a mycorrhizal fungi network in there i'm guessing if you buy locally from like a like a small provider like um dean's is that like a local yeah dean's that has one there's a few other places but even so that soil is pretty pretty much inert like they would Mm. they would have compost and then sand and then another thing and they just mix them all together so it's there the soil itself is still not alive there's no stratification there's no soil layers there's not a whole lot of really biological activity in there okay you have to add things like mulch from a from a tree to jumpstart that process gotcha so the organic matter is where the fungus is living and eating eating along with all the other living stuff. Mm-hmm. Once you get down to just kind of the uh, the mineral soil section, there's not a lot of life there. And what is there usually isn't working together with something else. It's just, just doing its own thing. Oh, okay. So um, the other bad thing is if you did get the soil that has these, uh, these fungus in it, these fungi, who knows if that's the kind that's going to be good for the tree that right. you're planting. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. Some, no, there's no one-size-fits-all fungi. Yeah, exactly. There's a, There are certainly generalists that's like one-size-fits-a-lot. Oh, sure. One-size-fits-most. I've seen that on some hats. Yeah, right? They're, they're there. You can find the hats of those soils. Uh, so the thing is, you have to really develop the entire soil spectrum in order to actually get the fungus to really have good habitat that would then make the habitat better for the tree. Or should I say caps? You should say caps. Like mushroom uh, caps. Ah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't, I saw, I saw I didn't you hear, hear that. 
<laughs> I didn't hear what you said for the last 10 seconds because I was formulating that. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Joke. The joke we say in air quotes. Okay, so a, 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 a TLDR yeah. of this answer is... Yes. Yes and no. Exactly, yeah. I sometimes think and then sometimes not. Yeah, the best way to do it is to create the best soil conditions and then the fungus will come. Right. The best way to do that is to use some amount of wood chip mulch on the top of your trees wherever they're growing. Wood chip mulch. Yes, and that's what comes out of the back of a chip truck once they, you know, remove a tree, prune a tree, do something, chip it all up. It's that stuff oh. that you throw down. Uh, fungus will get in there, start to decompose it. Cool. And then other fungus will be will match up and find the roots. Thank you for your question, Lisa D. Hey, if you've got a question for us about trees or other related top and or other related topics, mm-hmm. join the Patreon at the $3 a month Quercus and Alder. That's Q&A tier. And we should also note that you can also join at the $1 tier. You just want to right. be, be a tree hugger, give us a little bit of support, a little, little thumbs up. That's right. We accept all, thumb, all thumbs up, all of them. <laughs> Especially ones shaped like a $1 debit <laughs> from your checking account. Yeah, exactly. Uh, above that is the $5 arboretum tier you get two bonus episodes a month about a host of subjects they're fun they're free form they're more relaxed less edited than the episodes you're listening to in the mainline feed it's like hanging out with us yeah it really is and then above that is of course the cone of the month club the cone of the month club we should call it the golden cone of the month club because it's very prestigious it is it's quite prestigious like it's our most popular tier Mm -hmm. you can get a unique die cut cone sticker illustrated by an independent artist what do i mean by that every month we get a different artist to draw a conifer cone that's right i should say illustrate a conifer cone in all different kinds of styles from as many different artists each month we will send you a sticker of that art in an envelope with a little info card so you can learn about that tree. Mm-hmm. You can look up the artist and see their other work. Mm-hmm. And it's sent directly to your actual physical mailbox. It's a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun doing it. That's Above cool. that is Arbitrary Plus, our live stream tier. You can watch one live stream a month with Casey and I. One live stream a month with just me playing a tree or nature-themed video game. Also a lot of fun. And then above that, Casey... We got generous admission. That's right. 20 bucks a month or whatever you choose to, if you really want to roll out the red carpet for your support, this podcast, however, any tier supports this podcast, even just listening to the podcast for free supports this podcast. And we appreciate your patronage. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell anyone you want or keep it to yourself and it'll be. (laughs) And with that, we say thank you for listening to this episode of completely arbitrary. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. I'll see you later. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 